Well, good evening, Second Presbyterian. It's uh, good to be with you. What a joy to experience uh, your laying hands on your leaders and um, affirming what God is doing in their lives, the characters worked in their lives. This is really a joy to, to, to see you uh, affirm those whom God has placed his hands on. And uh, again, always just been very encouraged by, by you this weekend. Uh, and it, I know this is, um, I've said this before, but it is just such an encouragement and honor to be with you. And just want to thank you for your hospitality. And so what we'd like to do is to really look at a passage of scripture tonight that really grabbed my attention and grabbed my imagination uh, at the end of the year. <clears throat> and um, it just kind of provided a bridge into the new year. And so I want us to, to take a look at this. And this is uh, Psalm 126. I'm going to give you a moment to, to turn there while I want to run again and get my my bulletin. It's a passage that many of you have seen before. I know for me personally, it just kind of grabbed me as it were by the collar back in December. I'm hoping that tonight what we can do is just kind of reflect on it together. And so we're just going to kind of sit before the Lord in his word and the encouragement he brings to us in the midst of discouragement. And so that's our aim tonight. Let's look at Psalm 126 and find the heart of God. Here's what the psalmist says. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. Saints, our thoughts tonight simply is this, is dream again. Let's go before our God. Father God, today has been a long and full day. It's been a day of fellowship. It has been a day of worship. It has been a day of engaging pastoral ministry. It has been a day for you. And God, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, as we reflect on your heart for us, a word for this world, a world, a word for a Genesis 3 world. God, would you speak to our hearts? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Saints, God bless you.
Well, my sister and I um, spent some time yesterday enjoying your city. And in particular, we hung out yesterday afternoon at the Civil Rights Museum. And we were taken with it. It was not the first time I've gone through a museum like that. I went to the Legacy Museum in Montgomery. I went to the um, Museum of African-American History in D.C. All very compelling. Something really grabbed, really grabbed my mind and my heart as we walked through that museum, especially as we finished it. I felt this emotion. There was these rhythms of encouragement and excitement and lament all right there together. And and, and one of the things that, that you could see that the museum captured well are the cycles of progress and regress. Moments of anticipation and grace, blessings from God. God granted relief. And in those moments, there was tremendous collaboration. There was this joint work between black and white working together in abolition, pushing toward, I think you could say that it all flowered in the Emancipation Proclamation. And then the war, of course, completes. And then one of the most amazing moments in American history, in my mind, we talked about this at dinner last night, uh, is Reconstruction. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the history of Reconstruction. What an amazing time of flourishing amongst black people. I won't spend a lot of time talking about that tonight, but it's important to to understand the degree of, of political and economic enfranchisement that black people experienced after the war when there was a targeted effort to enable their enfranchisement which is followed by compromise in Jim Crow. And so, so there was this, this, this long season of regress followed by progress. Preceded by progress, then regress, and then hoping for progress, which I think we look at the civil rights movement, I think many of us would consider it a success. That, that this was a moment that proved the metal of American democracy. And then you get to that last room and you realize, no, no, not at all, that the Voting Rights Act was not enough, that the Civil Rights Act was not enough. Look at where we are. We are regressing again. And this is where we are in this present Think about what you guys are going through and have gone through recently as a city. Saints, when the present is not what it ought to be, there is often a dramatic tension between our gratitude for the past, this remembrance of what God did, and the uncertainty of the future. In other words, we look back and we see the grace of God, but because the present is full of challenges and difficulties, the future can look scary and threaten our faith. This is the situation that we find in Psalm 126. What we see in 126 is that we see this, this life on faith's edge. Looking back at what God has done, that he, what he's really done, and looking forward to what needs to be done, what desperately needs what we're longing for. 
The exiles from Babylon and Persia, and in this text, what we see here is that they have returned after 70 years and their joy was nearly inexpressible. And yet Psalm 126 is not a hymn of thanksgiving. It is a hymn of lament because they find themselves on the other side of God's restoration and are now faced with the harsh realities of being back in Judea. God had provided them with the favor of kings, with with Cyrus and Xerxes and Artaxerxes. They had their favor But there were many obstacles and difficulties waiting for them on the other side of God's gracious provision. There was the reality, saints, that when God blesses, that he often blesses not with finished goods, but with raw materials that require faithful work and sacrifice in an environment hostile to the promises of God. An environment that threatens faith itself. This is life. This is the faith life in the Genesis 3 world. Is that it is a perilous place of promise. It is full of risk and nourishment. That is who this psalm is for. This psalm is for those who have experienced the joy-giving grace of deliverance in the past. Those who know firsthand the experience of God's power in answering urgent prayer. Those who have seen God shape faith in the hearts of wayward children or grandchildren. You have felt the mercy of God fall on you after miserable failure. You have seen the healing of God on your body. You have seen God bring reconciliation between black and white while breaking New hope, bringing new hope into communities. And yet now you are confronted with a new uncertainty, with a present need for God's powerful presence. God is needed, saints is he not, today. In 2023, this psalm is for the disappointment that comes when difficulty follows the joy of restoration and threaten to turns the victory into disillusionment. This psalm is for those who 2020 almost broke, who saw the promises of racial reconciliation and justice almost evaporate, who see the Civil Rights Museum as evidence of a dream deferred, but also for those who personally long to recapture the nourishing presence of the spirits For those who lack the strength to fight another round of treatment, those who thought knowing Jesus would defeat all their temptations. This psalm is for Memphis. This psalm is for second prayers and the losses that you have seen. To all of them, Psalm 126, in this psalm, the Lord says no to disillusionment. He says, just as you have dreamed in the past and rejoiced, dream again. Believe again. Hope again. Trust again. Saints, there is no no limit to the deliverances. And I'm saying that in plural. There is no limit to the deliverances 
given by the grace of our God, there may be a limit as to how often you can refinance your home. There may be a limit as to how often your landlord will let you skip the rent payment. There may be a limit to how many second chances that your boss will grant you. But God will always forgive again. He will always restore the joy of your salvation again. He will reconcile broken relationships again. He will call you into gospel mission again. He can bring a marginalized people into restoration again. Our God is an again God. So by faith, we ought then to dream again. How? Are we just instructed? How do I walk in this? How do I live the faith life to dream again? Let me give you a couple of thoughts here. Here's the first. It's reminiscing about God's deliverance and restoration deepens faith and strengthens the soul. I love this. Reminiscing about God's deliverance and restoration deepens faith and strengthens the soul. Here's the thing that we need to feel is that reminiscing is more than remembering. To reminisce is to reflect on the past in a way that allows you to experience it again. Reminiscing causes you to laugh or cry or get mad. Reminiscing is to experience the birth of that child. It, 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 it is to re-experience your wedding day or wedding weekend. Reminiscing is bringing all these things back together again, whereas remembering gives you the facts. Remem- re- reminiscing brings the moments. Saints, here's the thing, is that one of the anchoring pillars of the faith life is reminiscing on the great works of God in our lives, in our families, our church, our communities, that reminiscing builds hope and faith. That's what it does. Reflecting or reminiscing on what God has done is a testimony, I love this, about his relationship character in the history of his reliability. Reminiscing is like God's credit report. It is his credit history in your life or in your ministry where God says, I'm good for it. God awakens in you the certainty of his character by remembering, helping you to remember what he has done for you. And this is what the psalmist does here. He reminisces or remembers When God proved he was good for it. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 126. What does it say? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. When the Lord did it. That phrase restored the the, the fortunes of of Zion. There's something that's obvious here. Here's the, the obvious thing. That this was not a new work. But a renewed work. This is not something that was like out of nowhere, but a renewed work of regaining what had been lost. 
they, these people of God, had lost Jerusalem, then God gave it back to them. There was a distant memory of God's favor. They had talked to their children about God's favor, but now there is a present experience of it. Isn't there a significant difference between a word about something and the reality of something? But it's more than that, saints. When it says, restore the fortunes of Zion, it is a theological and covenant statement that our God has restored the blessed promises unto us. He still loves us. (laughs) This faith, this covenant is more than words taught to our children. He is with us because he rebuilt us. That the faith is not saints of God, just so many words. It, 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 It is not something just affirmed it is something lived and because we've lived it we know God is really with us we don't just believe that God is with those who believe something but that God is with us look at the back part of verse one again when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion we were like those who dream The restoration of brokenness to wholeness is like a dream. Is it real? Can the world in which I lived destitution and loss give me a life of abundance and flourishing? Can that world, again, that Genesis 3 world, can I thrive? Can we thrive where we've not thrived, where we've struggled, where we've experienced strain? Can we flourish there? Yes. But the point, saints, is not circumstantial restoration when God reproved himself. It is that he restored our souls, that God's faithfulness inflated our souls again. The real work of restoration is not observed. It is experienced in the human heart. We are restored. And the outward circumstances are an expression of that and the source of that. But God has done something for us, me deeply. When God heals a body, when he puts his hand on someone that is sick, he heals them not because he loves bodies, but because he loves souls. He loves people. And God is proving his love for us. This is why prayer is an act of covenantal faith, because it rests on God's own love for us. Thus, God restores in order to build faith. He says here, our mouths were filled with laughter, our our tongues with songs of joy. Wow. Wow. Reminiscing allows the soul to be impacted, which connects us not just with the power of God, but also connects us with his relationship, character, and personality because he feels joy and it gives him divine pleasure when we are restored. When we rejoice, it gives God pleasure. The way a parent is pleased 
when they see their child happy about something. If they do something for the child and that child gets excited, the parent is pleased that there is reciprocity to God and his blessing and restoring us and our rejoicing blesses him. Oh, let me just say as an aside, this is not in my notes at all. I had intended to say this, but we need to understand in this relationship with God that we are partners with God. That God, I know that we don't have time to deal with this theologically. I get the impassibility of God. Trust me, I do. I do. But what I'm saying here is that in this relationship with us, that God gets something out of it. That it is a, an encouragement. The heart is nourished, pleased. When you see those whom you have blessed or helped, rejoice at what you have done. And this prompted a public testimony or witness about this. Look at verse three. I'm sorry, in verse two, it says, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Verse three, the Lord has done great things for us. This is their public testimony or witness about God, that the heart of Christian spirituality, again, is more than affirming truth about God. I say that a lot because I think that in our reformed communities, we are captured with propositions. We live on truth statements and creeds are vital. But there's something deeper, there's something realer than a truth expressed. And so Christian spirituality is more than about affirming those truths. It is grounded in an experience of the presence and power of God. Give me a moment here. I forget what time I started, by the way. So I have no idea. So I need, I need, brother, can I trust you to look at me in love and tell me when I, when I'm like about ready to go over to go over the hill? Thank you, sir. I, I, I will look to you. So one of the things I've been doing lately over the past three years is I've been reading a lot of Orthodox teaching. Or Orthodox is in our, our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters. And one of the things that they say that, I, that has really impressed me is what is a theologian? And a theologian is not one who has learned. <laughs> a theologian in the Orthodox tradition is one who has learned, but has also had an experience of God, which is what they call theoria. And when you've had this encounter with the vision of God, this knowledge of God, they call that state theosis. Theoria is the experience. Theosis is the state. Only those who are in theosis are theologians. Because here's what they say. This is just an aside. Here's what they say. All of your propositional knowledge about God minus the experience of God is spurious or suspect. That everything you think, you know, which says this, that the knowledge of God can, because God is spirit and this is spiritual, the knowledge of God cannot live in statements. True statements reacting with the heart for God brings knowledge of God. But the statement alone is not spiritual truth by itself, words on a page, stated, taught, or learned, hello Pharisees, that none of this is spiritual. It takes a relationship with God to know God, even the truth of God. 
And this is why their witness is so compelling. Because they've experienced the deliverance power of God. And people saw not their verbal witness, but they saw God's faithfulness to them. Indeed, verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. And this speaks volumes about what is a holy lament, which is the convergence of circumstantial sorrow and the reminiscence of the goodness of God in the past. That is a holy lament because it is a lament, hello, Lamentations 3, that is not despondent, but the problems are real. Here's our second and last point. That overcoming the present difficulty is a a bald, bold act of faith in future grace grounded in the history of God's restoring faithfulness. Look at verse 4. Here the psalmist pivots from reflecting or reminiscing and now looks at the present And calls on God, verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. God, you see our, our desert life. You see our desperation, the aridness of our condition, O God. Would you do what you've done again? Saints, verse 4 is a prayer and speaks to an important reality about the faith life. That we need to saturate our hearts with proper expectations. Feel me, please. That deliverance, let me say it slowly, deliverance often takes us into a harshness that requires a new faith for a new season of relying on God. The heart of faith has the boldness to ask God to do it again. Saints, God's restoration is never Final until it is truly final. This life is always the faith life until faith is no longer necessary. Faith asks God to restore again because it is necessary again. He says here, like streams in the negative this southern peninsula in Judah where in the winter it would dry up and they're praying, Lord, send the rains again. Bring your blessing to allow us to flourish again. There are two things, saints, that we want to understand about faith from verses four and five. We're going to, we're going to draw to a close. That faith does not deny the heart's feelings. Feelings. Look at verse 5. Those who sow in tears. Faith does not ignore hurt. Faith does not mean hurt-free living. But here's the other thing, saints, is that faith does not merely sit in the heart's feelings. Faith does not use pain or uncertainty as an excuse for inaction. Look at verse five. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. That sowing seed is a faith act. 
because to take that seed and put it in the ground causes me to lose that seed. Once I put it down, I don't know what's going to happen. Will the rains come? Will there be famine? Lord, this is an act of faith to trust that you will bring what's needed for harvest. And this is where the promise takes us. Because he says that since the joy from previous seasons of restoration still lives in the hearts of those currently weeping. Do you get that? That those who are weeping remember what God did in the past. Because of that, they have the hope needed to act today. Is that in the midst of this uncertainty, I'm not stuck. I'm moved, not because I'm desperate, but because I remember the kind of God I serve. I know that God can do it again. So I live like it. You know, saints, so I enclose my notes here. <clears throat> Every gain that we experience in this world will be followed by a lapse. It is engineered into this world and it is meant to give us a hope and longing for home when we will experience the ultimate and final restoration. Yet we're always intended to act out in the culture and conviction of the world that we're longing for. We're always looking to believe again and and pursue restoration because the kingdom is the promise of restoration. We're not ultimately looking at our circumstances to measure the faithfulness of God, though God always shows his faithfulness often in the circumstances. But we're trusting him for the final deliverance. I'll close with this is that one of the passages of scripture that really strikes me is our dear brother Paul in his final letter to Timothy as he laments about being abandoned and he says something incredible. He says, God has delivered me and he will deliver me knowing that he will die. That's the pattern of our faith. We fight for justice knowing that injustice will come again. We pursue health, knowing that sickness will come again. We pursue peace and reconciliation, knowing that tension and conflict will come again. We pursue Christ because we know that Christ will come again. Father God, I pray that you would just bless these, your people. God, may we be encouraged by this magnificent text Lord, give us a strong sense of resilience. Help us to have a faith that endures. Help us to know, God, that our faith will be tried and relapses, but you will bless again. We love you, Jesus. Amen.